It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 389 for April 20th, 2014. This week, Magic's Video Pro X6 includes features that professionals will like at a price amateurs can afford. My favorite weather site, Weather Underground, has been completely redesigned. In short circuits, users of Facebook's mobile application will soon find one feature gone. Mozilla has a new CEO, but one less user. And Heartbleed, reviewing what happened and why. Oh, and you can win the Corel Creative Suite X7? Check the website for details. It hasn't been all that long since editing video was an expensive proposition. You'd have to take the video to an offline editing suite and rent time, often hundreds of dollars an hour. Now, for the cost of an hour or so, we can buy video editing software and cut together our own videos at home. In many ways, this parallels the course of publishing. Until the mid-1980s, publishing was specialized time-consuming, and expensive. Over the years, desktop typesetting and layout have placed powerful technologies in the hands of just about everyone. And not always with stellar results. In the early days, some users who had access to 100 or more typefaces felt that they had to use each and every one in every document. But people eventually stopped doing that and took advantage of the speed and control offered by the technology. This is happening with desktop video editing now. Given 100 splashy transition effects, some people feel they have to use every one of them in every video. This too will eventually pass. One of the companies that was there at the beginning is Germany's Magix software. Now, after half a dozen years of development, Magix has released Video Pro X6, which is a native 64-bit application. Supporting 64-bit hardware means the program can use more memory, work faster, and offer more powerful features, professional features. The new version features major updates that are visible and many that exist behind the scenes to make things just simply work better. Video Pro X6 includes some bundled plugins, and all of these are also 64 bit applications. This is a program that offers some surprising features for a program that costs only $400, considerably less if you're upgrading from a previous version. The interface components can now be scaled to fit your monitor or monitors and your needs, and you'll find some new tools that push the application more towards the professional market. Vectorscope, Waveform Monitor, Histogram, these are examples. And if you're combining video from multiple sources, and possibly differing formats, there are controls that allow subtle modifications of color and luminance to match the video sources. And yes, if you can afford a high-definition 4K camera, Magix Video Pro X6 can edit it. 
I've provided links on the TechBiter Worldwide website to a couple of videos that are well worth watching if you're interested in editing your videos. There's a short introduction, which is what all Magix Video Pro X6 users will see the first time they open the program. It's about a minute and a half. And there's an approximately 12-minute tutorial that also would be helpful in explaining how the program works. You'll find support for HD consumer cameras such as the Samsung Galaxy Note 3 and GoPro Hero 3. You would expect that, of course. But VideoPro also supports cameras such as Canon's EOS 60D, which is used by professionals who are on a budget, and the true professional cameras such as Sony's F-Series or the Canon EOS 1D. One of the greatest challenges video editors face is the number of clips, cuts, and transitions in a video. Take a close look at what's on your television someday. You'll see cuts and other transitions about every five seconds. That could come out to be 120 cuts or more in just a 10-minute video. Video Pro X6 allows users to create individual scenes. Magix calls these nested movie objects. Once you've done that, you can combine these to create longer scenes. And if you decide that one of the nested objects needs to be changed, you can go back to the original, change it, and then see the results of your changes in the finished video. To test Magic's Video Pro X6, I decided to use some scraps of video I had lying around from last Christmas. I cut these together along with a few clips of Chloe. It will come as no surprise to you that Chloe is a cat. The program's control interface makes things really easy to use. In this case, I used two video tracks, and you'll see evidence of that on the TechBiter Worldwide website. I had no particular reason for doing that, except that near the end of the video, I wanted to insert a clip without cutting the clip that was already on the timeline. Check that out on the TechBiter Worldwide website. You'll see the insert is the second from the left on the lower video track. That clip then replaces the video from the upper track for the time that it's present. And some might find that counterintuitive, that the lower video is the one that's visible. And no problem once you understand it, though. Those extra video tracks allow you to create a picture-in-picture -picture effect or a double exposure effect, for example. I found the interface overall very easy to use, and there's a surprising amount of audio processing power in this video program. I added an audio track and then reduced the volume of the video tracks. It would have been easy enough to simply eliminate audio from those video tracks, but I wanted to retain a little bit of the ambient sound. When it's time to export the finished video, Magic's Video Pro X6 helps by selecting the most common settings that match the video you've given it. You'll see my sample video on the TechBiter Worldwide website. There are some things not to expect, though. Don't expect to buy Magic's Video Pro X and be able to create award-winning videos by next weekend. Five words. It doesn't work that way. Just as you can't buy a word processor and immediately become a best-selling author, you'll need to spend some time to understand the craft of shooting and editing videos if you want your presentations to be anything more than mediocre. There's no question that Video Pro X6 will make the process about as easy as it can be made, but you still have to take the time to learn when crossfades are more appropriate than cuts, and vice versa, how audio and video relate to each other, when using a transition effect other than a cut or a fade is called for, how and when to add text to a scene, and 
lots more. After all, the visual language that's used for film and video has been developing for nearly a century. To create a worthwhile video, you need to be able to speak that language. And you'll also need to learn about frame rates, safe areas, video compression, and lots more. So now's the time to get started. If you're anything like me, you'll think that your first videos are absolutely amazing, award winners. As you learn more, you'll realize just how pathetic they are. Welcome to the world of audio and video performers. There's probably not a disc jockey, a broadcast journalist, a video editor, or an audio editor on the planet who hasn't watched or listened to work done earlier in their careers and cringed. Literally. If you want to create video presentations, now's the time to get started. Bottom line, five cats. Magic's Video Pro X6 makes near-professional tools available to everybody. This video editor is a perfect fit for serious amateurs who want to improve the videos they capture, as well as for professionals on a budget. The ability to add titles, create numerous effects, add or sweeten video, and then output the finished program in any of several formats makes the entire process easy. And the high-end features that are present might even make it a viable choice for true professionals. Additional details are available on the Magic's website. You'll find a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. And if you're not ready for all the features offered by Video Pro X6, or the cost, check out the Movie Edit line from Magic's. Looks like we're in for better weather. The National Weather Service has a website, but I prefer to use the Weather Underground website. Features have been added continuously over the years so that it is now what I consider to be the undisputed leader when it comes to information about weather. Without the National Weather Service, Weather Underground would not exist, so this is not a public versus private argument. What Weather Underground has done is to take the data provided by the National Weather Service and make it more accessible. Yes, you do have to pay for Weather Underground, either by accepting ads or sending in a payment every year. Five bucks. Yes, that's about 42 cents a month. And what you get for your 42 cents is a huge amount of information in a format that makes it easy to use. And now Weather Underground has redesigned its web presence to make things even better. The radar view makes an astonishing number of overlays available with a satellite view, precipitation information, severe weather alerts, webcams, stream and river information, and various seasonal and geographic information, such as ski information or snow cover, or drought, fire, and seismic activity information. These, of course, depend on the time of year and the location. The main page provides immediate insight into the current weather for the location you specify as your default, and you can define a list of favorite locations to include places where you travel or where you have friends or relatives. The site seems to be more responsive, too. 
According to the Weather Underground site, and I quote, we've implemented changes that have improved both server-side and client-side loading times. We've streamlined images and code, concatenated scripts, added server-side compression, and minimized calls. We've also adopted new technologies, including the Foundation Framework and the FLOT Library, in order to improve data visualization and accessibility across devices. You can switch between 10-day and hourly displays when you look at the weather. The forecast graph provides a quick visual explanation of what's coming, but there's also a lot of numeric data if you're more of a numbers person. And when you want to drill down, clicking the hourly tab switches from that 10-day view to an hour-by-hour forecast over the next couple of days. Weather Underground has even changed the typeface it uses. In recent years, it's become possible to use more than just a dozen or so typefaces that were once considered safe for use on browsers. Previously, the site used Helvetica, or Arial for Windows users. Now the site has a new face called Verb. It's more legible because of improved character spacing, better character shapes, and fewer ambiguous characters. The site has a cleaner look, and I think it's easier to read. You can find out more about the website Redesign. There's a link to the Redesign page on the Weather Underground site from the TechBiter Worldwide website. And I have to note this, that even better, Weather Underground now spells Pittsburgh correctly. Although I think they actually corrected that several years ago. In short circuits, Facebook's going to eliminate a feature and call it an improvement. Ever notice how messages that begin with, for your convenience, never really are? That could be the case with Facebook's latest advance. Prepare to say goodbye to instant messaging on Facebook, at least for smartphones. The change will happen first outside the United States, specifically Britain, France, Norway, Sweden, and Finland. Later, built-in messaging will be removed for U.S. users, too. Facebook will be replacing the built-in messaging function with a separate app. If you want to forge ahead, you could just go download the app right now, even if you're not in Britain, France, Norway, Sweden, or Finland. The instant messaging system is popular, but Facebook managers insist that users will prefer the new separate application because it will bring new features. If you're planning an event for a specific group of participants, for example, you'll be able to create a specialized group in the new app. And even though users will now have to manage two apps instead of just one, the two apps will be highly integrated, Facebook says, and Facebook says the user experience will be better. The new Messenger app has been available since late last year. It's reported to be faster and more customizable than the current built-in application. Some of the features from WhatsApp, which Facebook is in the process of spending $16 billion to acquire, will be included in the new app. So maybe this change really is for your convenience. But it's also, for Facebook, a bottom-line issue. The more time you spend in any Facebook application, the more time Facebook has to show advertisements to you. 
And Facebook, once again, proves that it hasn't quite learned its lesson about privacy that users have repeatedly tried to teach. Facebook's new messaging application automatically includes information about your current location in every message. And this will happen even if you turned off that feature in the current Facebook messaging application. If you prefer not to disclose this information, you'll need to turn it off again. But it's okay. Just sit back and relax. After all, Facebook knows what's best, doesn't it? Mozilla has a new interim CEO, but one fewer user. Chris Beard has been named interim CEO of Mozilla. That's the company responsible for the Firefox browser and the Thunderbird email program. Although unrelated to this event, I have been re-evaluating the use of Firefox as my primary browser, and currently I'm not even using it. Wow, that's a change. So let's take that second part first. After all, I've touted Firefox for years as my primary browser, but I stopped using it about two weeks ago. It was a sudden decision, and I have retained all information and the settings that I would need to go back if I decide the decision was a bad one. What triggered the change was a repeating series of events during which it seemed that Firefox was causing the computer's performance to suffer, and by suffer... I mean the computer was all but unusable. It's important to note that I run approximately 20 Firefox add-ins and that I typically have 8 to 12 browser tabs open. Firefox has suffered from what are called memory leaks from the beginning and Mozilla, although they have tried, seems to be incapable of fixing that problem. When my computer, which has an Intel processor with 32 gigabytes of RAM, slowed to a crawl a couple of weeks ago, I looked to see what was tying up all the resources. What I found was shocking. Fully 75% of the system's CPU cycles and an astonishing amount of system memory were being consumed by Firefox. At the same time, I had an instance of Chrome open with about the same number of tabs. Not as many plugins, but the same number of tabs. It was consuming less than 5% of the CPU and an equally small amount of memory. In the past, I've generally just closed Firefox and reopened it. This time I closed Firefox, set Chrome as my primary browser, and set it to load the 11 pages I always load in Firefox. Then I started searching for plugins to replace those that I considered essential in Firefox. Because I usually need to have a second browser and sometimes a third browser open, I have selected Maxthon as the secondary browser, and guess what? Internet Explorer is currently my third browser. All of this is, of course, subject to change, and I'll tell you more after I've tried this arrangement for a few more weeks. Now back to the CEO part of the story. Beard was named CEO after the former CEO, Brendan Eich, abruptly resigned. When Aish was promoted to CEO, employees learned that he had donated $1,000 to Proposition 8 in California's 2008 election. That's the measure that banned same-sex marriage in California, and employee backlash claimed that this was not in tune with Mozilla's corporate values. Chris Beard has been with Mozilla from the beginning. He will join the board of directors. Beard's experience predates even version 1.0 of Firefox. 
Beard on Twitter said, excited to step in as interim CEO to continue shaping the future of the web for public good. It seems that Heartbleed wasn't quite as bad as it might have been, but it is certainly a harbinger of very bad things to come. A brief and very well-written article by Wendy Grossman on the Scientific American website explains why the recent security mess turned out to be less serious than thought initially, but why you shouldn't be encouraged by this. The good news is that the problem affected fewer sites than first believed. And the better news is that many of the affected sites have already been patched. The exceedingly bad news is that this is likely to happen again because of the goofy way that software developers are paid. OpenSSL, which is the application that had the problem, is an open source application, but only four developers are working on it, and only one is assigned to the project full-time. If you think security is important, you might question why this number of developers is so low. Grossman's article says, and I quote, The volunteer German programmer responsible for introducing the flaw accidentally while updating the software with some bug fixes and new features, Robin Segelman, an employee of a subsidiary of Deutsche Telekom, has openly taken responsibility for committing the code on New Year's Eve 2011. Additionally, reports by Bloomberg News and the New York Times say the National Security Agency discovered the bug and has been using it for two years. The NSA denies this. The underlying problem is that critical software is being maintained by volunteer developers who are paid poorly, if at all. The full article is on the Scientific American website. You'll find a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. <laughs> Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the weekly podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. All music on TechBiter Worldwide is licensed under the Creative Commons, and information about performers is on the website, www.techbiter.com. I'm Bill Blinn, and if you'd like, you can also send me a message from the website. Thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you again in a week.